Chapter Three of A Birding on a Bronco by Florence A. Miriam. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Like a thief in the night, when watching the little lover and his brood, I heard familiar voices farther down the line of oaks. Voices of little friends I had made on my first visit to California, and had always remembered with lively interest as the jauntiest, most individual bits of humanity I had ever known in feathers. So, when Mountain Billy and I could be spared by the other bird families we were watching, we set out to hunt up the little bluish-gray western gnatcatchers. The sand stream that widened under the wren sycamores narrowed up the canyon to a dry ditch, I should say, if it were not disrespectful to speak that way of a channel that once a year carries a torrent which excavates canals in the meadows. Billy and I started up this sand ditch, so narrow between its weed-grown banks that there was barely room for us, and so arched over in places by chaparral that we could get through only when Billy put down his ears and I bowed low on the saddle. We had not gone far before we heard the gnatcatchers, bluish-gray mites with heads that are always cocked on one side or the other to look down at something, and long tails that are always flipping about as their owners flaunt gaily through the bushes. At the sound of their voices I pulled Billy up out of the ditch, and slipping from his back sat down on the ground to wait for the birds. Eureka! There, in a slender young oak on the edge of the stream, not a rod away, one of the pair was gliding off its nest, a beautiful, lichen-covered, compact little structure, such as I had admired years before. I was jubilant. What a relief! I had fully expected it to be inside the dense brush, where no mortal could tell what was going on, and here it was, out in the plain light of day. What a delightful time I should have watching it! Before leaving the spot, in imagination I had followed the brood out into the world, and filled a notebook with the quaint airs and graces of the piquant pair. When insinuating yourself into the secrets of the bird world, it is not well to be too obtrusive at first. It is a mistake to spend the day when you make your first call. So contenting myself with thinking of the morrow, and fixing the small oak in my memory, I took myself off before the blue-gray should tell on me to her mate. As I rose to go, a dove flew out of the oak. She had been brooding right over my head. Another nest, and a morning dove's, one of the most gentle and winning of birds. Surely my good star was in the ascendant. The next day, forgetful of this second nest, I rode Billy right up under the oak, and was startled to find the pretty dove sitting quietly over our heads, looking down at us out of her gentle eyes. It was a pleasant surprise. She let me talk to her, but when I had dismounted, Billy tramped around so uneasily that the saddle caught in the oak branches and scared the poor bird away. I had hardly seated myself when the jaunty little gnatcatcher came flying over and lit in an upper branch of the tree. What a contrast she was to the quiet dove! With many flirts of the tail, she hopped down to the nest, jumping from branch to branch as if tripping down a pair of stairs. When she dropped into her deep cup, her small head stuck up over one edge, her long tail pointed over the other. Footnote 2. As this little pair dressed like twins, I could only infer which was which from the song and the actions of the two which were quite distinct. End of footnote. I looked away a moment, and on glancing back found the nest empty. On the instant, however, came the sound of my small friend's voice. Such a talkative little person, not one of your creep-in-and-out-of-the-nest-without-anybody's-knowing-it kind of bird, not she. Her remarks sounded as if made over my head, and when Billy stamped about the brush and wrapped the saddle trying to switch off flies, I imagined guiltily that they were addressed to me, but while I wondered if she would keep away all the rest of the morning because she had discovered me, back she came, talking to herself in complaining tones and whipping her tail impatiently. 
even after she stood on the edge of the nest, evidently absorbed in her own affairs, quite to the exclusion of the person down in the brush who thought herself so important. My doves were attending to me, however, altogether too much. The brooding bird was anxious to go to her nest. After flying out where she could see me, she whizzed toward it, but fearful, hesitated, and talked it over with her mate. Both birds cooed with inflated breaths. After that the branches rattled overhead, but even then, though my back was turned, the timid bird dared not stay. She must make another inspection. From an opposite oak she peered through the branches, moving her head excitedly, and calling out her impressions to her mate. Meanwhile he had flown down the sand stream and called back quite calmly. I also cooed reassuringly to her, and soon she quieted down and began to plume her feathers on the sunny branch. As the gnat-catchers did not honor us with their attention, even when Billy stalked around in plain sight, I moved a little closer to their nest, to give the dove more freedom, and soon the gentle bird slipped back to her brooding. Before leaving I went to see the dove in the oak, and spoke caressingly to her, admiring her soft dove-colored feathers and shining iridescent neck. She was on her own ground there, and felt that she could safely be friends, so she only winked in the sun, paying no heed to her mate when he called warningly. It was especially pleasant to watch this reserved, ladylike bird, after the flippant, tell-all-you-know little gnat. On going away, Billy and I took a run up the canyon. Billy was in high spirits, and went racing up the narrow road, winding and turning through the chaparral, brushing me against the stiff scrub oak, and loping under low branches so fast that the sharp leaves snapped back, stinging my cheeks. We had a gay ride, with a spice of excitement thrown in, for on our way home, in the thick dust across our path, besides the pretty quail tracks that made wallpaper patterns on the road, were the straight trails of gopher snakes, and the scalloped one of a rattlesnake we had been just too late to meet. At our next session with the blue grays, when she was on the nest, her mate came back to relieve her, and cried in his quick cheerful way, "'Here I am! Here I am!' Either she was taking a nap, or didn't want to stir, for she didn't budge till he called insistently, "'Here I am! Here I am!' Then he hopped down in her place, and raising his head above the nest, remarked again, as if commenting upon the new situation, "'Here I am!' It was a quite different matter when she came back to work. She only called, "'Hello!' not even hinting that he should make way for her, but he hopped off at the first sound of her voice, flying away promptly to another tree, and calling back like a gleeful boy let out of school, "'Here I am!' She was no more eager to go to the nest than he, however, and once when she came flirting leisurely along from twig to twig, she stopped a long time on the edge of the nest and leaned over, presumably to arrange the eggs. Perhaps she and her mate had different views as to their proper positions. The next time I visited the gnats, she acted as if she really could not make up her mind to settle down to brooding on such a beautiful morning. The fog had cleared away, and the air was fresh and full of life. Goldfinches and lazuli buntings were singing merrily, and light-hearted vireos were shouting, Chickity chick de vilay from the brush. How much pleasanter it would be for such an airy fairy to go off for a race with her mate than to settle down demurely tucked into a cup. Tseng! she cried impatiently as she flew up to catch a fly. She flirted about the branches, whipped up in front of the nest, couldn't make up her mind to go in, and flounced off again. But the eggs would get cold if she didn't cover them, so back she came, hopped up on the edge of the nest, and stood twisting and turning, glancing this way and that, as though for a fly to chase, till she happened to look down at the eggs. Then she whipped her tail, dropped in, and jumped out again. During the morning when she was away and her mate was waiting for her to come back to spell him, he too got impatient. He hopped out of the nest, crying, 
Now here I am. Quick, come quick. And as he flew off, sang in his little funny, soliloquizing way, Well, here I go, here I go. His restless spouse had only just settled down when a wren tit, a wren-like bird with a long tail, flew into a bush near her oak, and she darted out of the nest to snap her bill over his head. I thought it merely an excuse to leave her brooding. Calling out, Tsang! She again flew at the brown bird, who was hopping around in the bush so innocently as I thought. Conqueror for the moment, she flaunted back to the nest, and after much ado, finally settled down. For a time all was quiet. Hearing the low cooing of the doves, I went to talk to the pretty bird in the oak, and she let me come near enough to see her bluish bill and quiet eyes. As I returned to the gnat-catchers, a chewink was hoeing in the sand-stream. Again the wren-tit approached stealthily. I watched with languid interest until he got to the gnat's tree. The instant he touched foot upon her domain, she dashed down at him, crying loudly and snapping her bill in his face. The brown bird dodged her blows, held his footing in spite of her, and slowly made his way up to the nest. I was astonished and frightened. He leaned over the nest, and, what he actually did I could not see, for by that time the blue-gray's cries had called her mate, and they were both screaming and diving down at him, as if they would peck his eyes out, and it sounded as if they hit him on the back good and hard. A peaceful lazily bunting, hearing the commotion, came to investigate, but when she saw what was happening, held back against the side of a twig, as though afraid of getting struck, and soon flew off, having no desire to get mixed up in that affray. When the wren-tit had at last been driven from his position, the gnat-catchers flew up into a tree, and standing near together, talked the matter over excitedly. Then one of them went back to the nest, reached down into it, and brought up something that it appeared to be eating. Its mate went to the nest and did the same, after which one of them flew away with a broken eggshell. When the little creatures turned away from the plundered nest, they broke out into cries of distress that were pitiful to hear. I felt indignant at the wren-tit. How could a bird with eggs of its own do such a cruel thing? But then, I reflected, we who pretend to be better folks than wren-tits do not always spare our neighbors because of our own troubles. When the poor birds had carried away their broken eggshell, one of them came and tugged at the nest lining till it pulled out a long horsehair and what looked like a feather, apparently trying to take out everything that the egg had soiled. When the little housekeeper was working over her nest, a brown towhee flew into the tree. On the instant there was a flash of wings. The gnat was ready for war. But after a fair look at the big peaceful bird, she flew to the next tree without a word. She evidently knew friends from enemies. I never liked the towhee so well before. But though the blue-gray had nothing to say against her neighbor sitting up in the tree if he chose, her nerves were so unstrung that when she lit in the next tree she cried out, Tsang! in an overburdened tone. It sounded so unlike the usual cry of the light-hearted bird, it quite made me sad. Whether the poor little gnat-catchers did not recover from this attack upon their home, and took their nest to pieces to put it up elsewhere, as birds sometimes do, or whether the stealthy wren-tit again crept in like a thief in the night to plunder his neighbor's house, I do not know. But the next time I went to the oak the nest was demolished. It was a sorry ending for what had promised to be such an interesting and happy home. My poor dove's nest had a tragic end, too. What happened I do not know, but one day the body of a poor little pigeon lay on the ground under the nest. My sympathies went out to both mothers, but especially to the gentle dove, now a mourner indeed. End of chapter 3